Wait, it is anime death spiral, the only anime podcast that was won an Oscar for anime. We are back. We are doing our thing where we talk about anime. Uh, <laughs> we are talking about anime movies, specifically ones that do not have animation in them are basically uh, my favorite ones. What about you? Uh, yeah, that's generally the type of movie that I think that I watch overall. You know, uh, I, I do watch a fair amount of movies with animation, but I would say the vast majority of films uh, uh, do not have anime in them, let alone like animation. I like uh, striking a nice balance. I think the perfect balance is probably like 20% anime, like 80% non-anime. You know what I mean? Like just a little bit. Okay, okay. When are we going to get the anime equivalent of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? where it's like uh, seamlessly animated 2D with 3D integration. How would you Smash Bros that? Because like Roger <laughs> Rabbit had all the like the WB characters and like some Disney characters, right? Yeah. Well, that was a big selling point. It was Disney and WB on the same uh, screen for the first time ever. Yeah. So like who would you smash together to bring those Titans in? Well, okay. So the obvious starting point, I think, is making it a Isekai adaptation, right? Oh, God. <laughs> and so I think it would be really funny if we had an Isekai protagonist uh, gets hit by a bus and gets transferred to a live action, like 3D, uh, like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones esque fantasy world. And he's just like a, a 2D anime dude walking around in this 3D space interacting with people. Yeah, yeah. Sort and, of like the <laughs> the opposite of the the infamous uh, 3D Homer Treehouse of Horror episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was I was going more for like a like a reverse Cool World, but same thing. Yeah. Well, like Cool World, it would probably turn out extremely horny. <laughs> I mean, that's a given. It's an isekai. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I watched something that really split the difference recently. I watched that new uh, Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, which is like 80 percent anime, like 20 percent non-anime. Couldn't uh, couldn't help yourself from from putting some money in Seth Rogen's pocket, huh? Look, he's uh, he's doing good work. He's he's out there doing good work. Not great work, but good I am work. a I am a consummate anti-Roganite. I will say you're an anti-Roganite. Yeah, that's crazy. It feels like you arbitrarily hate Rogan, like you pulled his name out of a out of a bag at some point. We're talking about Seth, right? You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's his proximity. His proximity to some weird dudes. He's been around those Franco boys for too long. I don't trust that. Seems like a good dude to me. I don't know. I've got no beef with Seth. I think he's been putting out good work recently. You know what? In fact, I think he puts out way better work when he's behind the scenes. When's the last movie I saw? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I agree. I like him a lot more when I don't have to look at his face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, what is honestly the last Seth Rogen movie I even remember liking? Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express? That was so long ago. That was <laughs> really... I don't want to think about how long really, ago that was. That was a really long time ago. But T Mutant Turtles fucking, like, kicked ass. You know, okay. we were talking a lot about Spider-Verse. Well, that, everybody seems to be jumping on that Spider-Verse animation train. Here's what I'll say about Turtles is that, to me, this is, like, the first thing that, like, truly feels like a follow-up to the Spider-Verse thing. But it has a, a very unique identity still. It doesn't 
it's not like an imitator. I think like they learned a bunch of great lessons and then decided to go and do their own thing. Okay. Uh, which is really cool. I, I think they did a really, really good job. Uh, yeah, it's not as good as Spider-Verse. I mean, nothing. I can't, I'm not going to sit here and say that. Nothing can be like, uh, it's physically, difficult. it's impossible to be as good as either of the Spider-Verse movies. Cause they might actually be the coolest movies ever made. <laughs> Certainly uh, the coolest movies made in a while. I'll give them that. You know, I was a little drunk and listless the other day, and I threw on the Across the Spider-Verse again, third time now. Uh, and man, it just fucking, it just goes it so It slaps. Hard. It's great. It's really great. I couldn't believe it. Have you watched anything else? Anything else with animation? I have watched stuff uh, with some anime in it. Uh, this is a weird one because I watched... Tomie 1998 no hey. subtitle this has a very strange uh balance of anime to non-anime because it is like fully non-anime but the Tomie drops are like just a little tiny bit you know but it's still very potent <laughs> one little one okay little drop. so so let's let's bring up the obvious comparison first we uh, talked about uh Tomie unlimited uh last episode or the episode episode before that last episode was one piece but we talked about tomie unlimited and how that was kind of like a reboot of the film series kind of doing the same overall plot of this movie and of the comic over again but um, <laughs> kind of. in, a, in, a, in a in a low budget and horny way that was tomie unlimited uh how was tomie 98 which is the first tomie movie Based off the comic. Uh, Tomie Unlimited, uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, Tomie Unlimited definitely had a bigger budget than Tomie 98. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tomie 98 exists within a really interesting context because that late 90s, early 2000s, like Japanese mm-hmm. horror boom. I mean, this is when Ringu and um, The Grudge were at the, the height of their popularity. Oh, yeah. One missed call, all kinds of stuff. Um, Dark Waters, I like that one. Dark Waters is great. I really like that one too. Um, you know, uh, there's lots of other stuff, and this fits like like a snugly in there, like a puzzle piece, because it is, it has every single one of those beats. You know, the uh, sort of like yellowish green color grade tint to it. The very like sparsely populated cast. Uh, and world like it almost seems like there's nobody around in like every scene uh which could just be like you didn't get anybody but i feel like it's very much an aesthetic choice Mm -hmm. uh like very hard to place sense of dread that just sits at the center of the story before any actual like scary stuff ever happens there's just like this fucking like like a fishing lure just kind of like sitting there right in the center of the thing you're just bobbing up and down. You know something's there, but you don't know what. Uh, all the way till like the last 20 minutes, really. Yeah, I think that's its strongest aspect, really, because that kind of nails the same feeling as uh, Junji Ito's writing from the comic, right? I would say Junji Ito goes way harder than this movie does into the horror stuff. Uh, this movie is is not uh, <laughs> like 
it sounds incredibly dismissive to say it like this, but it is not a particularly like visual movie. No, no. There's not a lot of like horror stuff to look at in in the uh traditional well, horror. Especially sense. in comparison to Tomie Unlimited, it did have a distinct lack of wet puppets, uh, which this <laughs> this show likes. You know, I think I can yeah. say that pretty definitively. Uh, we like yes. a wet puppet here. Very pro wet puppet, obviously. I'm not saying I didn't miss a wet puppet, especially there's, you know, as we approach the climax and all the cards are on the table, one of those cards could have been a wet puppet and this movie would have gotten a better review for sure. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. You know, I watched it and it does take its time definitely trying to set up more of a of a atmospheric based tension as opposed to leaning into grotesque visuals. And I'm sure that's because of the budget, but uh, I think that they really made it work in this case. Like I'll say up front, I liked this movie. Uh, I thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah. It kicks ass. Yeah. It's a really good movie. I'm really glad I watched it. It's also really weird that it's like impossible to find online. Um, I, we had to do some, some digging to find this movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, a Japanese-only uh, niche horror movie from the '90s. It's not. It's not super surprising, especially when all the follow-ups uh, didn't particularly break out either. I suppose it's just, in my perspective, I feel like Junji Ito is has a non-insignificant level of international recognition to his name at this point. Mm, now, yeah, yeah, now. And so it's weird, you know, when authors tend to get like a late career, like big come up like he has. Um, I mean, he's always been in the background, you know, <laughs> the, the Junji Ito comics have always been kind of like you know, tangential to like creepypasta like postings online. Uh, <laughs> that's your touchstone, the creepypasta. I mean, that's the first creepypasta <laughs> threads were the first place that I learned about Junji Ito uh, like oh, yeah. as a creator. Yeah. Wow. You know, the first time I read um, The Secret of Amigara Fault was in a fucking 4chan thread. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what a reveal. <laughs> <laughs> That's some lore for you people. Yeah. I think the first time I heard of uh, Junji Ito was like when I was very young, I, for some reason, managed to get my hands on an old Kendaichi Files uh, volume. And it was like part of the, hey, if you like Kendaichi Files, uh, there's like a bunch of like horror themed uh, uh, like manga out there for you to explore. And uh, Jinji Ito is, of course, t topping that list. Uh huh. Uh, pretty great, though. No detectives in most of his work. Uh, a distinct flaw in his catalog, for sure. You know, one of the things in this movie, the big adaptational changes, they throw in a sad sack detective. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love a sad sack detective. Uh, best part of any story, if you ask me. He was he he was unfortunately a load bearing sad sack detective. He kind <laughs> of shows up halfway through the movie to be like, "Here's what's happening, and here's everything that's going to happen, and also here's all the backstory you need." <laughs> you know, not my favorite choice hey, in any you, movie. I don't know. Uh, sometimes I prefer it that way. You know, just get you like that all of the exposition out of the way in one chunk. And then you can just look at the, the at the images for the rest of the movie. It's nice to meet you. I'm here to explain the movie. <laughs> See, uh, what I liked about him and the movie in general was like watching people smoke. 
Like that really, that was very enjoyable to me. That's like one of those things in movies now where that like instantly dates like what time period the movie takes place in. Yeah. Like having a flip phone, right? It's like, does everybody smoke? Is everybody wearing a hat outside? Yes. Uh, does uh, everybody have a flip phone? Yeah. Yes, it is definitely one of those cultural delineators. Like, when you see somebody light up a cigarette, like, on a plane, you're like, oh, I know exactly where I am in time. <laughs> or, uh... Because well, uh, that, that's some wild shit. The one I always think of is is that, you know, the famous episode of Twilight Zone with, um, with Shatner, uh, with the gremlin on the wing, and the fucking, um... Uh, flight attendant comes I was like hey do you want some drugs to help you go to fucking fucking go to sleep you crazy person uh yes I actually that sounds great You're like yeah can you are you a doctor can you just give me those like yeah there's no rules the stewardess is like hey you want some lewds <laughs> fuck yeah dude hell yeah uh but yeah uh everybody smoking in Tomie was a big um uh, I like seeing that as well. Yeah, <laughs> I know that's bad. You're not supposed to say that anymore. No, actually, I'm going to definitively say, like, hey, kids, smoking is cool and you should do it. Smoking is cool and you should do it. That's the official <laughs> stance of this podcast. We are a pro-smoking <laughs> podcast. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it, it's a no-brainer. It just makes you look cooler. Yeah, since I quit, I can only really enjoy cigarettes by, like, smelling them smelling other people like smoking them on the corner or whatever mm -hmm. it's like the only way i can enjoy it anymore <laughs> uh so i really i'm out here really encouraging you to pick up a bad habit like it's a good one frankly i mean if you're watching anime that's almost as bad for you as cigarettes you might as well toss another one on oh i would say uh, pound for pound anime kills more people every year than cigarettes look uh what's what's worse uh lung cancer or brain cancer because <laughs> anime absolutely gives you brain cancer oh it gives you it destroys your brain first psychologically and then physically well first yeah first it destroys your personality and then it destroys your uh, actual body <laughs> You know, uh, that reminds me, one thing I, I really don't like, and I know this is something it shares with the source material and and the uh, Tomie Un Unlimited, mm. is, uh, and this is not even limited to that, I've seen this in a bunch of horror movies, but um, there is a, an attempt where the weirdness kind of reaches a climax, as uh, they do in all horror movies, you have to, um, and they decide to go with, uh, first of all, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, there's two endings to this movie. They just slapped on a second one. I guess. Yeah, I guess if if it was in the version that I watched, which it had to have been the same one that you did, uh, um, I, I didn't notice when they transitioned from one ending to the next. Oh yeah, it was very smooth for you. Yeah. You know what I did like though? What? Uh, not showing Tomie's face the entire movie was so good. I real I noticed did that such too. Such a good job. It they took did a me really a while good job with to that. to get that they were doing a bit, but once I noticed <laughs> it, you know, uh, it really clicked for me. Yeah, I thought that was yeah, awesome. Great gag, really great gag. It's exactly the kind of choice. Like I, I don't think a bigger budgeted movie would have gone for. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and that is not to say that they don't show her, but it's a lot of like uh, back of head shots, obscured in shadow, you know, um, hair like in front of her face kind of thing. Yeah. Obviously, it's a very directed take uh, visually to have. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, it kicks ass. Tomie 98. This is a solid adaptation. 
This is a good-ass anime adaptation. It's crazy because I feel like I get the impression that Junji Ito was not, uh, like, he he doesn't really back this one. Um, that's why it hasn't gotten, like, a lot of reprint. Good. <laughs> he shouldn't have anything to do with any of this shit. Like, these should exist independently of him, and that's the strength of Tomie 98, is it does not need Junji Ito to be an interesting and cool movie. Well, yeah, I guess we should bring up that Tomie 98 is a adaptation of Tomie in concept, but it's not like a direct adaptation of the story from from the first comic. It's like its own thing. It's telling its own story. Yes. Well, we don't need to drive it into the ground, but we have talked about it a lot. Like that is uh, the objectively correct way to make these movies. I mean, yeah. For I, the most part. Unless unless your name's Takashi Mike, then you can do you know, no. you could do whatever the fuck you want. Hey, yeah, you've earned it. Yeah. Uh, I. You know what? I watched more than Tomie, though. I watched a couple of these motherfuckers. Okay, you're you're plowing right ahead with these anime uh, live action adaptations. Yeah. Well, you told me you didn't watch any other. You've been a you've been a lazy boy. I've been a little lazy boy. I gotta I gotta fess up to that. No no lying there. Um, you haven't I, done any of your homework. You've been hey, playing what, video no, games. No, I did. I did watch Tomie. <laughs> uh, I, and okay, I've read stuff and I've watched anime, but yes, the, uh, the live action stuff, uh, <laughs> I will say you are getting ahead of me on. So there have a point. We're keeping score now. Yeah. And I'm getting through the good ones. And I, you know, I, like I said, uh, it's unfortunate how many of my, my choices ended up being TV shows. Cause I just do not have the patience for that. But man, you know what? I got my hands on that, that early two thousands devil man movie. And uh, who boy, am I glad I did. I am so happy I ended up watching it because I was really on the fence about it. You see, I, I looked up the Devilman movie. Well, OK, so the only thing that I know about the Devilman live action movie is that it is like at or near the top of almost every bad live action adaptation list. Yes. Fools. Fools all. Every single one. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> clowns. Really? Yes, this uh, I almost didn't watch this because, like you said, I found uh, incredibly disparaging remarks in basically every review uh, I came across, including the Wikipedia article on the movie, (laughs) which doesn't usually make a big declarative statements on the quality of the subject matter. Uh, That's not usually included on the Wikipedia article. Uh, but this one was like, yeah, this movie is the worst Japanese movie ever made. <laughs> it's like, Holy shit. OK, dude. so despite its its status as as a classic, I am woefully uh, unknowledgeable on on Devil Man as a whole. So maybe you could fill me in. Yes, your your disknowledgeability on on Devil Man is uh, quite shameful to this podcast, I have to say. Uh, no excuses. <laughs> Devil Man is, of course, the most famous character from Go Nagai. Uh, he's been doing it from 78 onwards, I think. I think so. I think 78. Devilman is very old. It's like definitely OG shit. Uh, and of course, in that sense, uh, much like a lot of OG manga stuff that has just plowed through uh, the cultural imaginary, uh, it has been uh, reincarnated many, many times. I think most recent one obviously being Devilman Crybaby, which is... Um, maybe one of the best anime ever made maybe not sure i think so though i think so just incredible work uh my man 
Masaki Yuasa making another appearance. What's up? Big ups to him. This is uh, yet another entry in in the Devilman saga, the 2004 mm-hmm. attempt at a live action, uh, which probably, honestly, uh, killed off any further attempts. I, I don't think they've ever tried again. From what I can surmise, this was a pretty cynical cash grab. Uh, the director had made a few manga adaptations before that, but they were more like uh, young delinquent anime type shit and uh, a baseball one, I think. So kind of more grounded stories, you know, uh-huh. and then he's coming into this and it's 2004 and uh, you're trying to make a like a, a, a special effects heavy movie in 2004. People are coming at you with these like newfangled CGI uh, rigs and all this shit. And I feel like he felt a little pressure to do some stuff that was outside of his comfort zone. Also, because I and I figure this because also like producers forced a bunch of like teen idols on him. So uh, there are basically no real actors in the whole movie. They're all these like, you know, pop teen idol guys. Oh, no. Yeah. And I, you know, I know very little about the idol scene. So I don't know if these guys were like, I don't know, singers or or. You know, I, I don't even know what else they do. They're like magazine models. How how do dudes yeah, become? Yeah, you know, pop it's idols? it's the pipeline. You model singer to TV actor to movie star. You know, it's it's a very uh, streamlined process. Uh, I think yeah. in the in the Japanese entertainment industry. Yeah, yeah. This is very much like a, um, a Justin Timberlake doing in time kind of thing. You know, sure. But with a. Uh, one hundredth of the budget of in time. I kind of like in time. I got to say, I'm trying, I'm ragging on it, but I actually kind of like that. You movie. know, in time is one of those ones where it's like a, it's a classic, like a uh, twilight zone premise, right? Yes. Um, but extraordinarily given, blunt. Yeah. But, <laughs> like but no given subtlety. a way too big budget and put in like a modern sensibility that just doesn't mesh with the very uh, blunt classic sci-fi-ness of the premise itself. Yeah, yeah. It had a very interesting attempt at, like, a weird aesthetic that I don't see very often, which is, like, the the sh- the Shining City science fiction aesthetic combined with, like, uh, the 20s art deco thing, kind of, like, just smashed together with no sense, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, which I, I mean, kind of liked. It looked like shit, but I, I like the idea of it. Okay, try and imagine it then in black and white and everybody's wearing suits and, like, instead of being a weird digital display on their skin, it's just, like, a, a big, bulky wristwatch that they have to wear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or uh, <laughs> it's like they carry a briefcase around. Yeah. <laughs> But that is not Devil Man. Devil Man uh, has uh, basically, like I said, no acting talent. So our main, our main two characters, whose emotional relationship is the core of Devil Man. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got these two g- coming of age boys. One of them is like kind of your classic shonen hero of justice, right? Mm-hmm. And the other one is like very like the mysterious, uh, like doesn't talk a lot, has the sharp eyes and the bleached hair kind of look thing going on. You're never really sure like what's going on with that dude. The bad boy. Yeah. The one thing we know about these two characters is that they care for each other 
a lot. Uh, and in fact, uh, you know, a lot of has been made about, and I kind of roll my eyes here about the, the uh, homoerotic undertones of Devilman. I think I'm not opposed to that kind of reading, but I feel like, yeah, you know, it's I, I, I don't think it's it's there in a I think not that it's not there, but that is it is a real stretch when people make that argument a lot of the time. Uh, they're two boys and they have strong uh, friendship. OK, can we just we'll leave it for this movie alone. We'll leave it at that. Uh huh. They share a connection. Yes. Now, unfortunately, devils happen. Oh, every time. Not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. You see, uh, White Hair Boy's dad, uh, he accidentally drilled a hole so deep that it hit the devil layer of uh, sedimentary earth, and all the devils slipped out. Now, this is bad for humans, because uh, devils don't like humans. Yeah, no, it uh, kind of yeah. comes with the uh, job description. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately for the devils, they need to possess humans to be alive. Okay. So... Um, the first thing we get in the movie basically is a, a pickle, uh, CGI sperm wriggling its way into our main character's body, huh? uh, to, to turn him into devil man, who is wow. a devil man. Uh, so th- 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 touchstone number one for me, uh, big, big point. Number one, uh, the devils start off as big sperms. This is not subtle. I am not making some kind of interpretive leap here. They are literally big sperms. Which you might feel is a mistake, but I can assure you, uh, it rules. It kicks ass. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, humans everywhere. They're getting. They're getting impregnated by devils. This is the future liberals want. Uh, <laughs> genderless impregnation. Uh, it's fantastic. It really kicks ass. And this brings us to, I think, the first contention that people have with the Devilman movie, and that is bad CGI. Uh And they're not wrong. It is bad CGI. I mean... But it is a very specific bad CGI. So we're... Okay, so we are in to an age currently of CGI starting to look pretty good overall. Would you agree? I feel like we've tipped the scale, at least. I think there has always been good examples of CGI. It's just that people need to uh, make the correct uh, implementations of it. I think it, it, that's my serious opinion. Okay. Well, fair enough. But I think that that still fits into what I'm trying to say in that there's we're, we've moved into this you know area where we're getting better at it. We're progressively getting... What you're driving at is that good CGI is cheap to implement now. Well, okay, yes, that's not really what I was driving at. What I'm trying to say is that now that we've moved into this, uh, you know, uh, progression in in the technology, there's just forever going to be this chunk of of history, of film history, where none of it's ever going to look that good again. <laughs> If it, if it looked good at the time that it was out. Yes, we, we there is a, a kind of a bad stretch. And I think the problem isn't that there wasn't good CGI. I think the problem is that a lot of people who didn't know how to do CGI were rushing into the space. Because, like, Terminator 2 looks fucking great. It still looks good. It's a, a version of the CGI, very, very early CGI, where somebody, somebody being... Uh, the goat James Cameron sitting down and taking his time to make it good. 
That is not something a lot of directors were doing in the 90s and early 2000s. Mainly because, and we, we this led directly into the, like the Marvel strategy, which is uh, you just hand your movie off to like the CGI studio, and the producer sits down with them and goes, "Okay, make it make it part of the movie, like make part of the movie for us," uh, which is not a good strategy. <laughs> it doesn't work out very often. No, you know, as much as I do not like uh, that fucking Star Wars prequel, uh, the first one, I think the CGI looks fucking god awful george lucas at least sat down and became very very involved in the actual cgi production well which is why i think that movie is watchable in any way i mean you know final product aside i lucas has always been a tech guy i feel like that's always been his strength you know as a you know creative force in hollywood overall you know he's the the industrial lights and magic guy he's the the thx guy yeah. Um, he's always trying to push new technology to improve the filmmaking and viewing experience. But I mean, I think it's long past. <laughs> he failed, uh, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> he failed a bunch of times. He uh, failed a bunch of times. It. But what I'm trying to say is that, is that <laughs> he's not great needle. as an ideas guy. And I think we can all say that now. You know, he he had a few hiccups. I don't think we need to get into it. Uh, obviously, Peter Jackson doing the wettest shit as well. Like, these are people who, like, got involved. Uh, and actually, the the wettest stuff is a perfect example because Weta stuff was happening around the same time, I think, like, 2004. We were into Lord of the Rings already, and Lord of the Rings looks great. It looks great. Uh, bro, 2004, great. we were out of Lord of the Rings already. Yeah, I know, right? And Lord of the Rings looks good it does well again a vast majority of lord of the rings was practical effects still yeah but remember they did all that i mean the big remember the big reveal about oh we we built this technology to show a million orcs running around yeah yeah so so that's the context we're in for devil man 2004 yeah and the director is obviously very uncomfortable he is on the the other side of this this cgi thing where he's not very comfortable with implementing cgi so it, it clearly, like, it, when the CGI stuff kicks in, it really feels like another movie happened and just got, like, layered on top of this one. The problem being, not the problem, uh, the uh, the interesting thing to note there is that that movie also kicks ass like, in a completely <laughs> different way. The CGI is unlike anything you will ever see again now because it is so experimental and weird that it was, like, it predates, like, the solidification of like technique, you know, and <laughs> artistry. Like, okay. These guys were fucking just fucking around. They were just fucking around. Uh, we can make the computer do what? <laughs> it really is. It's fucking insane. And the fact that they layer the CGI on top of some truly demented physical like appliques that the actors have to wear occasionally uh-huh. is just so perfect it so is do, so is it, amazing is it doing for the costumes is it doing like a tokusatsu thing uh are they doing like big like mannequin heads and stuff or or how does well, it here's look? the thing devil man is a man who is a devil Yo. yeah so oh, he's shit. a lot there's a lot of man still involved he's just like me for real yeah and in fact he's he's like shirtless all the time uh that's part of the deal of being a devil man so these are mostly prosthetics glued directly to like his chest and shoulders. 
That's that's what we're dealing with. Okay. A couple of face things, but not it's very light on the face stuff. And in fact, as the movie goes along, you clearly see that they kind of gave up on like doing any special effects for the demons. A lot of the demons are just dudes running around, uh, shooting people or like stabbing them or whatever. I think occasionally they like color their eyes yellow, but it does not happen very often. Mm-hmm. They there's one uh, devil lady that he fights pretty early on in the movie. Uh, and they gave her big angel wings, which is great. And they don't look particularly great, but it, it's a fun visual. But otherwise, yeah, not a lot. Most of the most of it is spent uh, evolving him, doing his <laughs> digivolution into <laughs> into Devil Man. Into Digi-Devil uh, Man. Yeah. But and here's an interesting thing. It's unfortunate that uh, in pure statistics, this only accounts for like maybe four frames literally four frames of the entire movie. But there is a thing where when Devil Man gives the, the death blow to his enemies, they will flash on a manga panel of him doing it. Oh. When the strike hits, like it's a freeze frame in a video game, like an impact uh, freeze frame. And it is one of the coolest fucking things I have ever seen in an anime adaptation. I like, literally, love this that. is. This is incredible. It, and I've never seen it in an, another uh, anime adaptation. I don't think. Let me think about that real quick. Well, well, okay, well, uh, the, the first thing that comes straight to mind is that bit in the first episode of Fooly Cooly, where it goes into uh, just a camera panning through uh, different manga panels of what's happening. Um, sure not really the same thing i know I, I know it's not the same thing but that's like the first uh image that flashed my head but uh, i think that's really cool and i don't know if this is intentional or not but i think it's a really fun commentary on like the nature of adapting a manga into live action like that is the purest form that you can do is just putting a panel on the screen Right? I mean, yeah, it's really fucking great. And it is just a beautiful, awesome idea that just comes out of nowhere. Uh, and then suddenly you're like, wow, this is cool. It, I mean, the first time it happened literally changed my mind about the entire movie. Like, I was kind of with the haters for a while uh, until, like, the first time that happens. And he just fucking, like, owns this dude. And they do the flash of this, like, animated panel. And it's like, oh, my fucking God, that's so cool. It's something I really wish more movies did. It, not even just adaptations. I think it's just a cool-ass technique that I wish I saw more. That's giving me really heavy, like, um, Edgar Wright vibes. I think that he could utilize something like that to fun effect in one of his movies. Sure. Well, he loves doing those, like, uh, impact shots, the impact cuts to, like, single-frame kind of things. Not yeah. single-frame, but, like, a few, a handful of frames. Yeah, yeah. I think the obvious choice to have done it would have been, you know, for the Scott Pilgrim movie. I think that could have been fun. But Well, you know, I hate to bring it back, but the thing that Spider-Verse does when they flash into, like, different art styles for, like, one frame. I love that. I mean, I love everything about Spider-Verse. It's so cool. Yeah, that's exactly what happens in Devil Man. But what, like 16 years early? More? I, God, I don't want to think about time. <laughs> time doesn't destroys mean my soul. I hate time. Yeah. Fuck off time. Uh, this podcast is uh, definitively against time as a concept. We are anti-chronology. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like that is exactly the, the lineage there. And it's such a cool thing. 
you know, and uh, as we progress here, I think it isn't a, a sort of interesting take on Devil Man. It's hard to compress Devil Man into a, a, a you know, a, this ended up being two hours. I wish it wasn't so fucking long, but it's hard to compress, you know, an entire history of uh, um, this legendary manga into two hours. I get it. And obviously, like I said, it doesn't help that there's basically no actors in the thing. <laughs> Acting is not a concern for this director at this point. He really gave up early. You could tell. Uh, <laughs> stop giving lines. But the the sheer insanity of it is great. Just no caveats. Just great. Honestly, if this movie came out and somebody said, "Oh, this is like a trauma production." <laughs> It would be it would be legendary. No one would have ever shit on it. They would have been like, this is fantastic stuff. This is like really good work. But it it happened to be this big hyped property, you know, that had all this marketing writing on it and had like these, you know, pop idol stars and had all this attention. And it wasn't what people were expecting. So obviously it gets shit on, uh, which sucks, which sucks. And I look, I'm a massive hater. I have a lot of sympathy for the haters, honestly. Haters, <laughs> I'm with you. I love hating on shit, especially this kind of thing. But this is this is not. I one. mean, it is a lot more fun than than liking hating on, on shit. Hating on shit is honestly a lot of fun. Uh, if you haven't tried it, give it a shot. It's great. <laughs> but this is not one. This is good. I am a I am a lover, not a hater on Devilman 2004. It fucking kicks ass. All right, go watch this movie. Well, shit. Uh, okay. Uh, you want to take a break here and come back? We can talk about some anime anime. Sure. Sure. We got two positive reviews in of anime and manga adaptations. Isn't that crazy? Did you even think that there were two good ones before? Uh, I don't think that they even knew. How could they have possibly known without us? (laughs) Now, you know, now, you know, okay. You're welcome. Let's take a break. Nate, do you want to do you want to just throw out a number of chapters that I'm at at One Piece at this point? You want to just throw out a guess? Well, okay, so uh, that is going to depend on some questions here. Are you did you recently start a a fresh read like what? Okay. yes. Okay. After One Piece, the show, I determined to find out how many you know, chapters we were covering on the show. Uh-huh. Uh, and that kind of just unfortunately snowballed into me just reading One Piece again. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, uh, I'm going to guess that you are up to chapter 249. Oh, so close. Unfortunately, you did go over, so Price is Right rules kick in. Dang. I was at uh, 230. Oh, I was so close. Yeah, yeah. Right after Alabasta, right before Skypea. Okay. Uh, I don't know what any of those words mean. Yeah, you, you, don't, know, you don't know shit, so that yeah. doesn't mean anything to you. But uh, for those in the know, you know. If you know, you know. 
Uh, Skypea coming up. If you know, you know. Yeah, Skypea does have one of the greatest gags in the climax. It's one of those things where it's, you know, Skypea takes a very long time. And obviously 230 chapters, we've taken a very long time to get there. And the entire time this gag has kind of been sitting directly in front of you, uh, like just under your nose, uh, and pays off very, very well at the end of Skypea's. I'm very excited for that. That's something like, again, like I said, we're probably not going to get a season three of One Piece, even if they make season two for f- purely for financial reasons, not even cultural stuff. But uh, oh, if it's, they it's did, only bleeding uh, cultural credit, uh, if not actual hard cash at this point. Honestly, I feel like the more people have the opportunity, like as the strike goes on, like the more people have the opportunity to go and be like oh well i wonder what this one piece thing is all about i'm gonna check out the anime or the comic Uh, i think more and more people are gonna get soured on the entire thing well Uh. you know uh (laughs) netflix did just announce that starting october 1st they are getting the one piece anime on there i have to say the one piece anime really does not pick up visual wise uh for a long long time that's, uh, you know, uh, understandable. It did it. I wonder if there was like a studio switch that happened at some point. There has to have been. Right. I think it just went from like it took a very long time to get there, but it went from Saturday morning cartoon budget to like prestige anime budget over the course of a decade. You know, so th- that's where the growth came from. See, my okay, so my experience with One Piece, uh, as as we've been over, is rooted in like the the four kids, you know, dub that played on on Fox Kids on Saturday mornings. Yes. Which was a a even more hyper realized version of that Saturday morning cartoon uh, uh, aspect that you're talking about. Yeah. So it's it's bizarre to me. Like, uh, in my circle growing up, One Piece was always, like, you know, the least talked about show next to Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z or even fucking Yu-Gi-Oh, right? <laughs> sure, yeah. And and now One Piece is, like, a huge fucking cultural phenomenon, uh, dominating, uh, casting a an oppressive shadow over all of anime. Yes. Well, it's more like you became aware of it. Yeah. It dawned on you. It it dawned on so many of us that One Piece is actually uh, bigger than anything we could accomplish in our tiny lives. Oh, yeah. Easily. Uh, Oda is the Stephen King of manga. <laughs> if Stephen King just wrote one thing for 25 years. <laughs> I mean, hey. Uh, hey, I, I, uh, hey, whoa, hey. Um, I don't, uh, <laughs> hey. I don't know, man. Uh, gee. <laughs> But this isn't about that. <laughs> this is about manga. I read a lot of manga. And, you know, uh, I didn't just read One Piece. I read a bunch of shit. To the, to the point where we cannot even talk about all of it. I know well, that... Okay, you've been, you've been hounding me over this growing list you've, been, you've had of stuff that you've read. And it's just been getting longer since we've been talking about the live action stuff. So uh, maybe we should take a moment to, to knock some of these out. Yeah, I really want to clear out the backlog because it's getting to the point where stuff is so old now that I'm like forgetting what I liked about it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, pick something. Pick something off this list here. Let's talk about it. Well, you actually took a recommendation for once, even though I didn't tell you to. I took several recommendations. Yeah, we can talk about the ones that you actually read. 
Okay. You read a little bit of How Do We Relationship, which uh, is is uh, one that I I read a bunch of. I actually like started and just blew through so many chapters in one. I can I can definitely I really see it. why. I'm like six or seven chapters in, and it's yeah. definitely got me hooked. I wanna I wanna deep it dive into this you know way more. Uh, but what what drew you to it? Well, it's not a particularly um, uh, unique premise, right? But uh, <laughs> we've probably mentioned this a couple times before. Has the incredible hook uh, to be not about high school kids. These are about college kids, uh, which you know is maybe a small difference, but man, it's refreshing. Yeah, no, I would actually air. say that is a big difference. It is absolutely refreshing that. Uh, um, I can relate to these adult characters on some level. They are closer to adults than children in the in the manga space. I appreciate that. Oh, these are like college kids. That's interesting. That's a more fruitful uh, avenue to explore romances because honestly, like high school romances, as much as like they're dominant in the manga space, are kind of. I don't want to sound like, you know, overly cynical, but hey, uh, uh. High school relationships, they're, like, not real. They're, like, really not real. They are, like, training well, wheel no, shit I, uh, many, for the vast majority of people. Many, many have talked about it before, but, but anything about, like, youths or high school students and their relationships and their development is only ever really written about in hindsight from, from old people, like, like pining Yes. For the past. It is a person romanticizing, capital R, uh, a period of their life and specifically like romance itself, right? Yeah. Uh, relationships itself, love itself. And I feel like that's harder to do when you are talking about close adults, adults, almost adults who are almost adults. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay. So high school romances, they're always, you know, they're big sweeping shallow uh generalizations of of complex issues that that yes. people experience in 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 real relationships and sure. and i think that one of the what you're trying to say and one of the things that drew me to how do we relationship is that this is in fact a much more grounded and and relatable uh emotional take on on you know starting a new relationship what it means to kind of crush on somebody as like like seriously like looking for a relationship versus you know <laughs> the the ideal of a relationship that high schoolers yeah. know well we are not we are not like robots manga haters obviously we this is like is basically 99% of what Nate reads and it's probably 50% of what hey, I read. Listen, the only hating going on with romance manga is, is towards myself <laughs> yeah, from obviously. myself. I mean, it's just that it's that thing, right? It's so yeah. cliche to even point it out, but it's like, uh, teenage romances are fantasy because like everyone's emotions are extraordinarily volatile and you're not even really like a human being yet. You're still like a little gremlin, but how do we relationship as the title suggests is about like, wh how do you like do it? How, how does the next part happen where you have to, you know, talk to each other every day and work on like problems that you have with each other that crop up in a traditional relationship? Mm -hmm. uh, how do you deal with not even like the big sweeping heartbreaks of romance, but like 
the little annoying things. How do you do that? Uh, it's not something that is particularly, again, like talking the big capital R romantic. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just stuff that happens in like a, a realistic love life. Yeah. Uh, and those are the kinds of things that how do we relationship is really more interested in is like the complex, messy feelings of an actual like closer to adult relationship. And uh, we haven't mentioned it, but this is about, you know, a, a modern a lesbian who has never had a real relationship before and she's trying to also on top of like all the other shit is trying to navigate uh coming out and and having a public a semi-public out open relationship with her girlfriend yeah this one actually addresses more of like uh, the the homophobia that they're afraid of and sometimes experience. Well, I feel like, like Yuri as a genre leans much more heavily into that romanticized high school version of things. It's it's high fantasy, and in those fantasies, homophobia often like just doesn't exist. Yeah, and it very much is in in how do we relationship was again. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things I appreciate about it. Yeah. I, I brought up earlier that oh, I think one of the things that threw me off, though, is that compared to Western fiction about like being being gay in in the modern world, there is much less of a omnipresent threat of like imminent violence to these characters. Yeah. I mean, I would say this definitely evolves on that front. I'm very early on way less than you. So you probably have some more context than I do, but yes, I think it definitely explores many different dimensions of that. And like how homophobia like uh, affects their relationship and our main character's relationship to their family and the world in general. Uh, I do think there is a very funny thing where like uh, the character reminisces about like, how did she figure out, she was gay and there's a you know a flashback in the more traditional sets where she's like trying to grapple with her feelings for this you know female classmate she knows uh but there's also just one really great scene where she's watching uh, a quote-unquote western drama uh which is just like a cw like high school show and like <laughs> there's two gay girls on the show and they kiss and she just looks at the tv and goes oh that's that's it I'm I'm gay. Oh shit. <laughs> Which is really It was great. that simple. Yeah, it's really Oh wait, great. I'm that thing that they're doing. Oh, that's that's what I've been feeling. Oh, it's that one. Uh but man, I as as an attempt at like a very much more adult romance angle and uh you know, a a, a more I don't want to say realistic because honestly, again, like stepping out of my lane as a straight dude, but like I feel more realistic attempt at at portraying like uh, you know a messy lesbian romance in that context. I, it just, it's just like fucking. It, it was great. It's like a edgier seat shit too because it goes places. It does not shy away from getting very messy. And the characters are just incredible. They're really really endearing, and there's a good spread of them as well. Mm-hmm. And they don't treat them like just archetypes to like bounce our main characters off of. It's a really good comic. It's very well rounded. It's got good shit in it. I liked it. I always appreciate when something is good. <laughs> I guess I like what... it when it's good. Yeah, I like it when it's good. Sometimes uh, but... I like it when it's bad, but you know, most of the time I like it when it's good. Uh, let's talk about, uh, this one about the, uh, the fake marriage gambit, Hotaru no Yomeri. Hotaru no Yomeri. 
God, I hope that's even, that's probably not even close. I like this one too. I think this is a good one. I, I don't know how you did it, but you picked ones that I actually liked. This one's <laughs> a little fluffier. This is definitely full fantasy shit. So I, I really only read the the first two or three setup chapters for the premise of this manga. But yeah. essentially it's about a uh, a nobleman's daughter who gets kidnapped and as a last uh, minute attempt to rescue herself, she says that she will marry her would-be assassin uh, if he saves her from from the rest of the gang that kidnapped her. Yes. I, I mean, uh, she doesn't have that much going on in her life, so... Well, okay, so the I think the, the flavor that that was a great choice to add to this whole premise was that she allegedly has some kind of, of terminal heart defect and she is not expected to live very much longer in her life. Yeah. Yes. I, you know, if you want to get into thematics of this kind of very goofy, like non-serious comic, yes. The idea that these are two characters who uh, have uncertain futures because they live close to death all the time is, is the main thematic thrust of, of this very goofy, non-serious comic. (laughs) Does it? Okay. So uh, maybe I haven't gotten to that part because uh, it is definitely to to me taking itself very seriously so far. Uh, no, it is it is a goofy romantic comedy. Like, okay, it, it, it has a guy who cuts people in half sometimes, but it is a goofy romantic comedy. I particularly like how our our romantic male lead is supposed to be a like you know a scary assassin type. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a badass assassin, a legendary they call him. Yeah. He he is portrayed on the uh more kind of like airheaded uh freak psycho than the like steely-eyed trained killer kind. Well, you know, he's doing the uh the here I go killing again. Yeah, he's a little ditzy. He's a uh, he's like uh you can never tell how serious he is about this, but he he comes across as like, you know, uh, a fantasy romantic. And so she plays him off that, uh, that he is he is this goofy fantasy romantic constantly on the edge of like, does he actually believe that? Does he actually believe she's going to marry him? Or is him? he just having a lot? Or is he kind of is he kind of playing around with this because like he's trying to figure out his feelings uh, about this whole situation? But yes, it, it plays mostly in the like goofy romantic comedy mode. And it's good at it. I really like it. It's it's lighthearted. It's goofy. It's fun. And it has some uh, good uh, human chopping. Okay. Now, when the only thing I'm concerned about is when you say it's goofy, does it go off the rails with like, uh, does it lean into like battle battle shit or anything? There's not that many battles. No. Okay. I I hate to say it, but manga could use a little less action in it a little less a little less violence a little less fighting well sure if you if you have a character whose entire thing is like the looming presence of imminent violence and then he just does violence all the time that like the potency of that threat of violence is obviously completely numbed yeah so it's it's much better that he does not kill people in every chapter but every once in a while he gets that sore wet I mean, I'm not opposed to that. I, uh, you know, yeah. uh, I, I did like it when he uh, killed those rapists in the first chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah. that was a real cool thing to do. You know what? 
Yeah, is it the, that is uh, they talk about save the cat, you know, and kick the dog. Uh-huh. But if you know, it really is kill the rapist. Like that is the truest, <laughs> purest form of that exact idea. If we need to care about a character, uh, no matter how loathsome they are, introduce him killing a sex offender. If you just have him kill a rapist, then uh, you're, we're going to be on their side like pretty fast. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I can't think of a single example to counter to counter that. <laughs> Script writers hate this one weird trick. <laughs> I mean, and, and we, and that's the kind of trope that they they lean on occasionally in in this story, which I think kind of prevents it from aspiring to something more interesting than it is. But I still like it. I still think it's fun. And the art's pretty good. Do they get together in the end? Wait, no, don't spoil it for me. I want to find out naturally. Well, they get together in the beginning. Yeah, but is it true love? That's what I want to know. Well, what does that even mean, Nate? I mean, what does that even mean, really? <laughs> okay, you read one more. You I read, read one more, and uh, I, I, I don't know how much I... I can say about this because I only read a few chapters and the, I liked it. This is um, uh, Tome Otoku no Ningen Ona, uh, which is, uh, I don't know the actual translation of that. <laughs> something about being human. Yeah. I know a word. It's something about, about being Ningen. Ningen. I know that word. Yeah. I can recognize one word in Japanese. It's Ningen. <laughs> so this is kind of like a cutesy uh, short form chapter comic. The chapters are like 10, 11 pages at most, I think. Yeah. And it is about a uh, invisible man and his blind uh, assistant slash girlfriend who helps him run a detective agency, which I think is a super cute idea. Uh, and, and like we talked about, uh, a little while ago, the pairing of having an invisible guy and dating a blind girl. Uh, I really love that. Uh, I think that's really cool. Uh, and they address it straight up, I think in the first or second chapter where, you know, to her, his ability to be invisible doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, And they kind of demonstrate this. They have a whole thing where she can... You know, of the people that that work in in their detective office, she can always tell whether he's there or not uh, because she can smell him or she can just kind of, uh, you know, sense his presence in the room, uh, which I think is really cute. It, It is very cute little romance about like two puzzle pieces finding each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very nice. It, the art is uh, gorgeous. Uh, it's uh, goofy and lighthearted. And it it continues to evolve in interesting ways, even if it it never picks up any kind of narrative weight. It's still like a it's a fun it's still a fun read. Yeah, yeah, it's very fun, very yeah. cute. I really like the art style. I um, it has kind of like this loose, sketchy style to the actual line drawing, and then everything is kind of imposed over kind of like muted monochromatic backgrounds. Um, I think it gives it kind of the uh, uh, kind of like that webtoon manhwa look almost. I think it's very much yeah. in that style. Yeah, I can uh, see it. Yeah, a little bit of that. You know what I really like about it? Maybe my favorite thing about it. What? Uh, he never spies on a women's bath. <laughs> That's so cool. That's really I'm so cool. fucking every time this comes up. I'm like, please don't please don't. And he does. Well, I mean, he's just a general good guy, you know, overall. Uh, he's a snappy the, dresser. He's yeah. punctual. Uh, he's he's brave. He's humble. He's considerate. He, 
Yeah, he's he's uh, he's cool at work. I mean, hey, my heart fluttered a little bit when yeah when they were trying when they're walking around trying to figure out what restaurant to eat at, and he asked her to smell out what's good. <laughs> you were into that. I date that guy. I date. Yeah, I date be, that guy. You would be into that. You know what? I the only thing I don't like. Huh. I will say this: you really shouldn't like be fucking your secretary. Like that's not. That's not good. <laughs> no. And, you know, that that doesn't just apply to this. That kind of is a dynamic that pops up in a lot of anime. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking your boss. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's not good. It's not a good thing. I do not endorse that. I have a big list of these, like, non-narrative-based comics that you can just kind of, like, dip in and out of. And this is, like going right on that list yeah mm-hmm. so this is kind of much more like a slice of life like a drop in for a chapter kind of thing i think so yeah this is like one of those things you would like they would post it on twitter and you would like catch it like every once in a while and be like oh yeah i really like this one of those twitter likes yeah that's th- that's three manga wow that's crazy out of three whole three whole titles four five six seven eight nine <laughs> ten eleven twelve don't count 40, it out 15, don't count it out 67 eight to nine 20, 20, 20, 20. <laughs> that's uh three out of 23 uh <laughs> we're making good progress we're chipping away at it we've got a couple more of those uh anime adaptations under our belt got a couple of more of these mangas off the list uh, I didn't even talk about Ichi the Killer, but I had a bunch of stuff to say about that and, and its relationship to Kick-Ass. Very, very strange relationship there. Uh, but we can save it for another time. Maybe after Nate watches uh, one or two more of these adaptations off our list. Still needs to knock off some of these Takashi Miike movies because, goddamn, it's really, really got some gold waiting for you. All right. Uh, well, you know, uh, far be it for me to put off a Takashi Miike flick. Yeah. You should get on that, dude. All right, all right. Next episode, I'll watch Ichi the Killer. We can talk about that. Excellent. And and you, of course, you handsome, beautiful listeners. Uh, Go watch an anime. Read a manga. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, read an anime. Uh, pick up a manga. You know, I'm, I'm sick of telling you what to do. You, you can take care of yourself. You're an adult. I hope you're an adult. Please <laughs> let us know if you're an adult. Uh, if you're not an adult, please stop the podcast now. I wish we had done this check at the start. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have saved it for the very end. But uh, please unsubscribe. <laughs> uh, and if you are an adult, uh, check us out on Blue Sky, oh, Anime Death Jesus Spiral. Christ. Okay. Pimping the fucking social media. So it's time to go. Yeah, that's it. That's the call. Uh, thank you, handsome and beautiful listeners. We love you. Bye. 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 I know Lance Henriksen has definitely been manga-fied at some point.